I'm Steve Fisher. Curiosity. It may have killed the cat, but it gave Daniel Siddiqui a life's mission. Fresh out of college and rejected by many for a full-time job in his chosen field, he set out to experience 50 jobs in 50 states. It was just the beginning of a life of discovery, living the map. He's my guest on Life Slices. Welcome, Daniel Siddiqui, to Life Slices. I'm going to start with an easy question. How do you define Daniel Siddiqui? Curious. Very curious individual. That's how my life has started. That's how it's been carried out. That's how I've made progress as a person through curiosity. So let's go right to what is living the map? Living the map is really defined by breaking down barriers, whether it's your fears, the borders between states. I, I say even for college students or grads, your field of study shouldn't limit you. So it's all about not limiting yourself. So living the map is basically exactly what it says. It's just live out your dream and don't have anything in your way. All right. Now let's let's explain what living the map is because it's sure. a very definite program you set out on. Yeah. So as a little kid, I used to stare at maps. And, and that's where curiosity started. Then as I grew older and started to figure out what my interests are and pursued a different, different career fields, that's where the idea of living the map was created because I ended up doing the 50 different jobs in 50 states, really opening up my world. That journey itself from 2008 led to several other journeys to follow. And I'm in the midst of one right now as we speak. So living the map is basically, if you look at a map, it could be the U.S. map, it could be the world map, and just knowing that there's no barriers between it so or nothing stopping you from exploring. What was your goal exactly when you set out to live the map? Define that. Well, my goals have kind of changed over time and my messages have evolved but when I first started, I was a recent college grad back in the mid-2000s, and I graduated from USC with a degree in economics, and I went through about 120 rounds of job interviews in that field of study, and I got zero offers. I got many, many invitations back, but it really led me to no opportunities, a lot of closed doors, rejection really ultimately gave me a new direction. And that's when I decided to go outside of my bubble, which was at the time, California, born and raised there, and just kind of burst out of my, my, my degree focus or career focus of economics. So I pursued all different avenues from cheese making in Wisconsin to a lobstering in Maine to coal mining in West Virginia, logging in Oregon, you know, so I, I got a chance to try pretty much all these different industries, which I had no experience in, but rejection became a part of my, my process to, to really withstand it, to not let it affect me emotionally. It was, of course, very draining to constantly hear no's, but I was very persi uh, persistent. And I went through about 5,000 no's in order to find those 50 yeses, one in every state. But before that, I was even looking for a job in, in collegiate athletics. So I, I actually sent out 18,000 emails to even volunteer, look for a volunteer position in collegiate athletics, because that's 
also my background, I was a collegiate athlete at USC and Oregon. And so I was just fearless and I didn't let rejection get in my way. I actually took that out of the equation. And ironically, that's what opened doors because I, a closed door opened a door elsewhere in a different avenue. And so that's another mission of living the map is I got a chance to live out the map I used to stare out as a very eccentric kid. I mean, I used to just sit there as a seven-year-old with the lamp right next to our lamp shape, like right next to the map and just kind of stare at it, envisioning what life was like in Maine versus North Carolina, even different countries too. So were your parents concerned about you just sitting there staring well, at the you map? Well, you know, they were, they were glad that I had a hobby. They, they saw that I was, that I had very strong interest for atlases and just geography in, in general. And so that, I never thought that was going to be my journey. Now I'm 39 years old. I never thought that would be the journey that I'm living out today. But it's it's really, so when you say living the map, it's you evolve because every time of America, I like to say zeitgeist, is the moment that I addressed an issue or some kind of crisis in America. So when I did the 50 jobs, it was during the recession, 08 and 09. And then I did another project called uh, Drop Me In or Going the Extra Mile, where I helped the, the most isolated and struggling communities in America suffering some, from some sort of epidemic. Like, for instance, I went to Mississippi Delta and I trained the most obese town to address obesity. So I trained them for a 5K road race. And then I did another one called American Bucket List Challenge of Cultures and that was during, you know, the Trump era when our country started becoming really divided. And I wanted to be a subject of somebody who is threading through all cultures and experiencing different cultural events or activities. Like I sang with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir in Utah. I did Scandinavian events in North Dakota. I shot art. I was in an archery contest uh, with Cherokee Indians in Oklahoma. So I was just kind of threading through all walks of life that make up this, this country and this diversity. And then this recent one, when we're in the midst of the pandemic and the country started opening up again and traveling was permitted. And I felt like a lot of us missed out on that human interaction and connection. People are eager to travel again because they were locked up for a year and a half. And so I decided to do this new project I call A Piece of Your City, where I actually create a memento in every major city in the country. So I'm hitting 65 cities. I've already finished 50. I was actually in Spokane and, and Seattle last month. It's just the most authentic way I could possibly think of to connect with locals, understanding their art and their craftsmanship, just, just have that meaningful experience. I thought that was a good time to do it now. So all my four journeys that I've embarked on had to do with the timing of America, and that's living the map. Outline, what are exactly are those four journeys? First one was in 2008. That's when I did 50 jobs in 50 states. The second one was called Going the Extra Mile, where I addressed five different regions. I went to five different regions to address an epidemic. So gang prevention in South Chicago, I went there. So I was in a month a month in each uh, community. South Chicago, I did gang prevention. Indian Reservation in South Dakota called Pine Ridge, I addressed high unemployment. It was 90% 90, 90 unemployment. 
Mississippi Delta, I trained a town for a 5K road race, and the town was 98% diabetic. It was the most obese town in the country. And then I went to Appalachia, where I addressed extreme poverty. And then the highest immigration or undocumented workers is in Central California. So I had a chance to do that as my fifth and final region, where I actually picked produce with migrant fuel workers just to understand the sacrifices they made to get into the country and the work that they're doing. And I'm sure you see that in Washington with uh, the orchards, apple orchards too. And then in 2018, that's when I did the American bucket list and I went to all 50 states and did a cultural event. And then 2021, and now it's called A Piece of Your City. And I'll plan to write a book called Piecing Together America, which, you know, it's uh, it's really disheartening, honestly, to see this country as divided or as broken as we are, politically at least, because that's not the America that I experienced firsthand at all. Because I, I meet the most welcoming people from, and it doesn't matter where your background, you know, you could be Arab, you could be a cowboy, you could be a redneck, you could be a Jew, it could be whatever. And I was able to live with these families all across the country, and each of them were as welcoming as the other. And I feel more good. I, I saw 99% good, welcoming people. I mean, otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do any of things if it weren't to, have, to meet the people that I have. And and that's kind of what I've learned from all these journeys: is the people make the experiences. They are the ones that create opportunities. They're the ones with the ideas and the creativity. I'm just a subject, really, going through all these ways of life, and I'm that's where my curiosity lies is through understanding people. How did you set out to do all these things? Did you know ahead of time where you were going next and what job was waiting for you? Or did you have to get there first? Well, ideally, I would like to plan everything ahead of ahead of schedule or, or in advance. But I was living in a car. So yeah, so basically, technically homeless. And I ne- I needed to get things done. And so I was trying to plan as much as I could before I hit the road. Uh, but it wasn't like logistically possible. So I, because in the recession, businesses were closing down, industries were shutting down. I had to come up with a lot of different like alternatives to uh, the closures and pursue different avenues. But, you know, I set up from what I remember, I set up uh, 12 states or 12 jobs before I hit, hit the road and went for 50. And I do remember my dad and everyone was skeptical of it, of course, because even my closest family members, including my parents, I remember my dad, he gave me a check for $250 and and he said, we'll see you in three weeks, you know, (laughs) because he's like, yeah, this is not going to work. You know, how are you going to find 50 jobs when you can't find one in your own field of study? That was kind of the the driving force was all that uh, the the naysayers, the skeptics, just me already suffering so, so much from hearing no's that I just put that wall up between me and no's. And that's when the doors open. But you ask how, what jobs, how did I choose the jobs? And, you know, I was already familiar with the country by just staring at the maps and kind of going to encyclopedias uh, growing up that, you know, Wisconsin's the dairy state. So I was going to pursue something without within that industry. So I called up cheese factories. So I did that. And then West Virginia, you think of coal mining. So I did coal mining. Washington, where you are, Puget Sound, I thought about marine biology. So I contacted uh, 
Peach People for Puget Sound, a nonprofit, and and I got a chance to work for a week with them. And then oil country in Oklahoma and Texas. So I pursued that. So it was pretty easy to think about what jobs to pursue. But of course, that's just an idea until you start making the phone calls and hearing the no's. Well, and so often, I I know from my background, uh, because I was in the entertainment industry, and whenever I would try to get a real person job, they'd go, oh, but you're just waiting for your next showbiz gig and you're going to leave. So how do you convince people to hire you knowing you're moving on? after a week or two. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm glad that you understand that. It's totally true. Like, uh, th- they know you're there they're just temporarily. You're just waiting for the next big thing. And I actually go through that today. Like, you know, being an author that I am, I'm also a speaker. It's not something I, it's, it's a passion project. It's not something that I want to do necessarily as a, a full-time career. So when I'm actually pursuing things, they, they are skeptical. They're like, yeah, you know, you're great at, at what you're doing, but uh, I don't see your fit here because you're just you're just too out there. You're you're not someone who wants to be tied down. You know, you have this uh, creative mind that you should be doing your own. You be, should be on your own path. You shouldn't work for anyone. I get all those things even from my own family members. Who my my, my dad's an entrepreneur himself, and he's always encouraged me to do what I love, but also be practical about it. And, you know, I've always worked independently and he's always been an advocate of working with teams and having people support you. And, but yeah, it's, it's been a challenge that way. You know why parents preach practicality is because they don't want you moving back into the basement. No, no, they, that, yeah. Oh yeah. I experienced that. That's a, that's definitely a big part of my, my book and my story is that the fear of going back home and, and, I call it the fortress of failure. You know, you're admittingly saying, you know what, help me. Even though I'm a capable person, I have a, a degree and I did all the right things. Now I'm now somehow I'm relying on you still, you know. So uh, I, I was gl- really glad that my parents were had that tough love where they didn't really welcome me back. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are afraid of change, or I shouldn't mm-hmm. say most, but a lot of people are afraid mm-hmm. of change. You embraced it. What was, was there any fear involved in going from one place to another when you didn't know what to expect when you got there? Oh, yeah. I mean, so when I did this journey in 2008, the 50 states, 50 jobs, I've only been to 20 something states at that time previously. But now I was actually going in wholeheartedly into these states with no connections, just me and my Jeep Cherokee that I had just bought off of Craigslist. Part of it was excitement because I'm fulfilling this curiosity that I always had. But of course, then you have that fear. You don't, you never know what's going to happen down the road, whether it's the people that you run into, whether it's the weather, whether it's the jobs, because some of these jobs were pretty intimidating. I mean, going down four miles into the earth as a coal miner was scary or working on a border patrol in Arizona where we would, I think in one day we caught 1500 people in, in a day. Wow. I was in the busiest sector in the country down in Nogales. But once you, like, I realized that, and many times I slept in my car in rural Kansas in negative six degrees or in avoiding a tornado in Ohio, I've I've slept in my car. So everything was controlled by my mind, though. Like, once I was able to overcome that emotionally, I said, you know what, I got through that. I'm glad that happened because it made me stronger and to embrace the next things that are going to occur because things are always going to occur. And even in 
the project that I did going the extra mile, I was in communities where extremely isolated, extremely poor. I felt very unwelcomed in, in some of these places, like the Indian Reservation. I just stuck to my mission and I made the connections with the people that I felt comfortable with and they felt comfortable with me. And then it just kind of grew from there. So it was just a matter of meeting the right people because, of course, there's going to be people who are going to support you. But then I am a stranger going into town. So when you talk about people being fearful of change, well, I got to be honest, I, most of my adulthood has been among strangers. Yeah, everywhere I go, I'm a new person in town, new person on the job. I'm exploring new arts and crafts and, and all these unique projects. How many lasting friendships did you make along the way? A lot. Thanks to social media, Facebook, uh, I've been able to keep in touch with, I mean, these people changed, changed my life. They, they made a huge impression on me. They were a stranger at one time, and now a meaningful connection made us friends. For me, coming from California with a different background, I remember a very vivid one was uh, going to South Dakota. And I was in rural South Dakota and nothing but cowboys doing, and their pastime was the rodeo, right? So I was a rodeo announcer in Ulrich, South Dakota, town of 125 people. And I just stuck out like a sore thumb. I did not have boots. I didn't have a hat. I had a Jeep. Uh, everybody else had a trucks and trailers. Then I remember this gentleman after the day at the rodeo, he came up to me and he said, where are you staying while you're here in South Dakota? And I was thinking in my mind, not with you. You're very scary looking because, you know, a different background and you look very rugged and tough. But that's that was my initial thoughts. But then I controlled that fear of the unknown uh, and kind of the differences that we have. And I said, you know what, let's let's actually tell him I don't have a place to stay. I'm planning to sleep in my car. And then he offered to take me to his house. And I was envisioning something bad, but it wasn't. It was a beautiful ranch. And he met, I met his beautiful family. They took me horseback riding in the cornfields. And like, that was an experience I would never have had unless I challenged myself to be adaptable. And that's what I've proven to do in every single circumstance is these relationships that I've created is because I broke down my barrier that I, that I held. Well, you talked about the divisions in the country politically. Yeah. How were you able to avoid any of those coming up? Did you stay out of political discussions? Yeah, because honestly, it wasn't important to me. It wasn't my focus. My focus was people's careers, their pastimes, their what they really are passionate. I mean, people are passionate about politics, but people in terms of their, like when I did the cultural bucket list challenge, I went mudding in Georgia. I went to a tailgate in, at the University of Alabama. Like people's passions and, and their pride is is away from politics. That's how I was able to avoid it. So I never really talked about religion, politics. That that's those things that can get you in trouble or in a closed door, right? And honestly, it's never really been my priority in any of these, uh, in, unless I'm focusing on religion or politics. Like some of these host families, I did go to a synagogue or I did go to a Hindu temple and I was open to it. So I never judge because I come from a very diverse background myself. My dad's from Afghanistan. My mom was born and raised in, in New York City with the Irish background. So a recent immigrant to my mom, seven, seven, seventh generation American. So, and then 
growing up in the Bay Area of California, I mean, that's one of the most diverse places in the country. So it was kind of second nature to me to be exposed to different cultures, people, but now going to their homes and living out their day-to-day lives was very intriguing. Now, you talk about religion. When you say you sang with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, I thought you had to be a Mormon to be in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Oh, and you do. You do. But, you know, I'm so persistent and I, I try to find angles or that I can create these open doors. But I'm always upfront and honest with every employer, every experience. And I'm just there to learn. And they just had me stand next to one of the choir members. It was a 400 person choir and it was during their like rehearsal. So I wasn't there for their main main show, but it was a rehearsal and the conductor introduced me and they said, welcome Daniel City. I mean, they were incredibly welcoming. And that is what this project's all about is just breaking down the barriers. And that was one of the most memorable experiences because it it proved the impossible. Like I I thought no way I was, I was going to be allowed to do that. What are some skills that you picked up along the way that you never dreamed you would ever experience? Uh, I would have to say social skills. I mean, I was the, I was, coming out of high school and college, I was pretty shy, timid. I always stuck in my comfort zone. I had a very tight group of friends from the, you know, teammates in track and in and, and college. We kind of stuck to our little clique. But yeah, this challenged me. I mean, I was talking to strangers on a New York City subway train where it's even awkward to make contact with a stranger, eye contact with a stranger. And, uh, you know, I really, because of the purpose that I had and me feeling like I was rock bottom at the time because I couldn't find the job, that it really challenged me to get out of my comfort zone. And for that, I'm grateful because I made these amazing relationships in in every state. So anytime I travel to these states again, I reconnect with people because they have been a part of my life, my part of my very important journey, these journeys. So social skills is, is essential for this for this type of work, for sure. And coal mining can come in handy in a uh, real energy crisis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go dig yourself yeah. under the house and find some coal. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because I was kind of worried about the food shortage and I was thinking, well, I know some farmers in Nebraska that can help me out if I if I actually get really st- so yeah the network is definitely uh, might help me out in the future if there is definitely a crisis. So you talked about you started this because your job search was not going great. How has this affected your job search skills? Oh, I don't think it's improved at all. To be honest, <laughs> no. I I I'm I'm me, and I'm still I'm always going to be me. I owe during the time when I was interviewing after graduating college, I felt I did everything right. It was just not my time to get a job. And it was not my avenue because otherwise I wouldn't have been invited to second and third round interviews. And I was so close to getting my break at some of these jobs that they actually did offer me and then they retracted it for whatever reason last minute. And I was thinking, well, that happened for a reason. And it, it the reason I found out was to embark on 50 jobs in 50 states. And then when I did 50 jobs, 50 states, and I wrote a book about that, I didn't know where that was going to lead me to next. But then, then I came up with other ideas on how to 
involve that in my next step in a career. And so I created a uh, internship program because I was like, what was I missing when I graduated from college? Well, I was missing experience and I was missing a network. And so how can I try to figure out a solution for that? And so I created a business based on career exploration. So I partnered with nearly 100 colleges and uh, created a summer curriculum for students to explore jobs and to live with host families. And I ran that for nine years. You know, that's what I say. It, to have those closed doors when I initially graduated from college open up another avenues where I could actually pursue something I was passionate about and something that I personally created. And I would have to say that's probably the entrepreneurial spirit that I always had. What is next? In the short term, I have to finish 15 more cities. So I, I, just, I just completed 50. As I mentioned, I was in Seattle where I learned uh, latte art. And then in Spokane, I, did, uh, I worked with Peanut Brittle at the Davenport Hotel. Here's a model car in Detroit. So I'm, I'm doing things that each city is kind of from, uh, known for. So I got 15 more cities and then um, I'll plan to write the book and then uh, who knows. What advice would you give to anyone, regardless of age, who is job seeking? It's so cliche to say, follow your dreams, right? But how do you know what your dreams are? Because what I learned is that your dreams change as you experience more, as you your circumstances change. Your interests change as you get older, as I mentioned. But yeah, I would have to say just try to experience as much diverse or have as much diverse experience as possible and meet different types of people because you're going to get something different from everybody, which can definitely shape your values, your interests, your direction. Uh, If it weren't for meeting all the people that I've met, I wouldn't have had the direction I've been on and the support that I have felt. So I would have to encourage a young person to say, to explore as much as you can, that way you can find your dream. And also people say, oh, I would love to change the world. Well, if you haven't seen the world, how do you know what needs to be changed? What do you want people to know about America and the people of America? No matter what people say negative about it, you you can never deter me um, to think otherwise, it is incredible. The people that the diversity that we have is absolutely, there's nothing else in the world like it. I mean, you go to North Dakota where you see predominantly Norwegians who are carrying their old traditional values. You go to Ohio or Wisconsin where you see German heritage and their traditional values. You go to, um, uh, West Virginia where you see Scotch Irish, uh, heritage you go to Alabama where you see African-American uh, heritage. It's just wherever you go, you can find different cultures, different ways of life. I love to see, you know, how your environment shapes your ideas and your values. You really are a product of your environment. You do see that people are like those around them. And that's what I saw more than anywhere else in those isolated communities. Because, yeah, it's just if you're in a bubble, you're going to be like those around you. So. I kind of like those bowls because it shows how different we are, you know, depending on our environments. But I love, I mean, we're so innovative. Look at all these products that we have created, our our natural landscape from Washington to Colorado to even Jacksonville, Florida. It's incredibly beautiful. 
But I'd say the thing that uh, really stands out about America is the people. It, like I said, I'm very disheartened to see that we are divided politically. At least it looks like that on the surface. But I think all in all, when you go out and meet people and put that aside, people are extremely amazing to learn from, to listen to. I mean, I even remember going to Appalachia for uh, an experience to learn how to quilt West Virginia. And these people are as hardcore right, right-wingers as you can as you can imagine, we didn't talk about that. We talked about quilting. We talked about what it means to them. And they actually parted me with a, a quilt that was worth $350 that they spent a month making just for me, knowing that I was coming. Here I am from California. They're from West Virginia, totally different. Yet we have that respect for each other. We cared about each other as Americans, as human beings. I appreciated the differences. I appreciated the diversity. We can't expect to be di the same because look how big our country is from Maine to Florida to Arizona. How can you expect to be same or have the same values? Or So that's what I appreciated about meeting the people and learning from them and what what life means to them, what their work means to them. That's why I would say America is very special that way. What would you like to tell people that uh, about you or your ventures that I haven't asked about? You know, I imagine there's a lot of people in on this in in this country that have a vision, but they don't follow through. And I'm somebody who it's kind of proven that everything that I've come up with, I've followed through with, and it took persistence, it took networking, it took risk taking, it took endurance. It took a, being adaptable. These are all very essential elements to making an idea a reality. And, and nothing has come easy. As I mentioned, rejection became a part of my story. But curiosity was the why that I needed. So the why was so strong that the how, how became easy. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for being part of Life Slices. And great job with your prior journeys. And best of luck on all upcoming journeys. Thank you so much, Steve. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Dick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 